so this morning, what I want to begin with is the thought around something that I shared uh, a couple of years ago, if you all have good memories or take notes. Uh, but I believe it's a good thing to remind us about as we consider uh, this time that we're in, but also uh, try to maintain a focus on Jesus. Let me just verify if my screen sharing is coming through okay. Somebody can wave their hand at me. All right, good. Uh, And so this comes from the context in Matthew, the 8th chapter, uh, beginning in verse 23, uh, regarding a time when Jesus and his disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. And at the end of that encounter, that uh, experience, they ask a critical question. And sometimes we look back and go, wow, that was exactly the right question to ask, which is why I want to use it for us today, to think about and understand who Jesus is by asking ourselves, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? And that might already spawn a few thoughts in your mind. For one is is his manhood. Uh, And as we know from John one, as John introduces his letter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word in verse 14 became flesh and dwelt among us. So we know that Jesus is man, but he's also God, and that's a unique experience for us because he's 100% of both, never to be replicated, never to be experienced again. But then we also see his command, his ability to uh, literally control the elements around us. The winds and the sea obey him. And I believe that's a direct testimony as being part of the creation and through whom all things that we have come into existence means that the creation is subject to him. And so he can command it to be what he wants it to do uh, when the time arises and he sees need and fit to do that. Uh, and there's likely other things, and that's what I want to explore this morning now, is, is then asking ourselves this question, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And as we go through, you'll also see a thought that really the only uh, one that is in control of the world, our times, our future, anything that happens around it, is God, our Creator. And Jesus as his Son, Uh, has all these powers and capabilities, and so it's to him that we need to turn in times of uncertainty to be able to find peace and hope and direction uh, in times of great uncertainty. So now let's look at the full context, beginning in verse 23. It reads, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep, Right away, I should note, there's something unique about Jesus. Uh, when the boat's being swamped, literally water's coming on board, um, and he's sleeping. Uh, obviously, he's able to understand and know that he's in control, and it's not a great concern to him. But it's obviously a great concern to those that are with him, because then in continuing, it says, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? I also want to note in the middle of this, which is even 
uh, greater question uh, that arises in the middle of this. We won't explore it today. But his disciples come to him and say, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. They're focused on their physical lives and the threat for their lives being ended because of this storm. But what they don't realize is that because of the mastery that he has of creation and later on the mastery of death, he's truly going to answer those that are perishing because of this life of sin and death. He will rescue even those people that choose to serve him from that degree of perishing as well. Although that's a subject for another time. But it's interesting how these discourses play out, and there's always multiple layers within Jesus' interaction and answers to people around them. So from this, we can see and understand as we go through these thoughts today. Right? First is Jesus rules everything. As creator, that's his right, that's his capability, and that's his power. But as that extends and then we see the full breadth of it, we see that he's prince of life, He's the, the author, or sometimes referred to as the captain of our salvation. He's the source of eternal sal- salvation, and he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. And we're going to look at each one of these in a little bit as we go through this morning. But in terms of starting off with respect to the fact that Jesus rules over everything, we can see very specifically in Hebrews, the second chapter, the Hebrew writer is introducing those thoughts about why Jesus is superior to everything uh, by introducing this idea. And so he says very explicitly, for it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, or speaking about Jesus in the positive, but viewing it from the negative, from angels. If some thought that angels would be the place to look for authority and power, he's saying, no, it's not the angels, it's Jesus. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? And that was a question that David asked many, many centuries before, and it's something that I hope each of us contemplates at times, because, after all, God is mindful of him. David asks that question, but it's a marvel of the fact that God does because of everything it is that man has messed up regarding his creation. But yet God cares and is mindful of us. But then talking again about Jesus, you made him for a, while, a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And by the way, pausing on that word, everything, that's a all-encompassing word that literally means everything. Everything in heaven and in earth and everything that we can see and not see, as the Hebrew writer will go through and describe. But now continuing, he says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. To again, reaffirm that concept of everything, saying there is nothing outside of his control. And at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So it's not only the creation, but it's also the spiritual world that we cannot see, but we know that he rules and has mastery about. So what sort of man is this? He's a man that has uh, control and rule and dominion over everything, over creation and over the spiritual world that we cannot even see yet today. 
So now let's look at a few of these thoughts and ideas. And I want to briefly just share what these some of these definitions mean. But for example, being a prince or being an author or a captain, uh, as we will look at in several uh, contexts. But this is important to realize that the general idea of those words is trying to convey to us is of someone who takes a lead to initiate something. So it's not just that he is ahead of us in leading us through this, but also the concept that Jesus is the one that's initiating this. So he's not waiting for us to plea. He's not waiting for us to try to figure this out. He took initiation to make this happen. He is in control of even how the events unfold. And as we've uh, studied before, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, as God is interacting with man and the serpent, God's very clear. He's going to tell them up front, I have this all in control. And while the serpent is going to bruise the heel of my servant, he is going to crush your head in terms of leading and showing how it was that this was going to be initiated and unfold. And so it's one who takes a lead in or provides the first occasion of anything. And truly Jesus did lead and provide occasion before we even knew what was necessary. So now going into context such as Acts chapter 3, Peter and them talking to uh, the uh, rulers, Describe this occasion as saying, But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. In his name through faith, in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And so they call him the Prince of Life. Again, combining that idea of initiation but restoring life to us where there was once hopelessness in death. Going back over into Hebrews, the second chapter, we'll be looking at a few other things in Hebrews, so if you want to park and put your finger on that, we'll look at some other context within this as we go through this this morning. Uh, but over in verse 10, the Hebrew writer continues on by saying about Jesus, for it was fitting that he, meaning Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given. And so, combining a few thoughts relative to our continued admonition to everybody with respect to uncertain times, we need to look to Jesus because we know he is in control, but he's also more importantly, over the elements. He's in control to the point that he's the one by which he founded our salvation. And that all the source of those who are saved have only one source in Jesus' name. And this isn't just about some ruler on high, some ruler that is out there doing things for us but that we feel distant. But he also combines this with the fact that him being a man came and participated in this life with us. And that Jesus is not ashamed to 
call us brethren. And so he does things with us and for us, but he's amongst us, which is important to know. He is permanently with us in whatever we seek to do in our lives and that we need to endure because he himself endured things in this life beyond measure against him when it was unjust. Over in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, talking about that concept further, beginning in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So here we can read and understand that he becomes the source of eternal salvation, not only in terms of what he was able to achieve for himself, but in that what he grants as a wellspring for us to be able to enjoy and drink of that water from the rock, as Moses and himself talked about, back when uh, he's represented by that event. He is the source of eternal salvation. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, over and beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, again, context just before that is talking about the hall of faith, as we sometimes call it, and how uh, all of those were looking forward to the time of which Jesus would come. And as we are discussing this, and thinking about this idea of a cloud of witnesses, those that surround us, cheering us on, wanting to participate in this race of victory that Jesus has established. He compels, he, com- he urges them on by saying, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin if you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And so we can look to Jesus in knowing what he did and what he was able to accomplish, and that he's our source, that we can use him for motivation, for strength, for endurance to be able to live through this world and the tribulations and the problems that we face. Whether it comes from people, whether it comes from elements, whether it comes from things that are just unfair because this world is broken, we can look to Jesus and know that because of what he was able to do, he is able to found and perfect us in our faith as well. Back to Hebrews, the second chapter. I want to remind us again about all of this with respect to what it is, this sort of man that Jesus is. Because again, reading, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So 
So I hope as we consider these thoughts and we ask ourselves this question again, what sort of man is this? Jesus is master of the elements. He's master of life. He's master of death. He's master of everything, both what we can see and what we cannot see. And because of that, we know that we have great consolation and faith to endure and see through this life. Closing in Hebrews, the second chapter, beginning in verse 10, talking about the things that we cannot see. Why did Jesus come to this world? Why did he partake of this uh, flesh and blood uh, in order to be crucified? Why was that necessary? Well, Hebrews writer tells us about that. In closing that context by saying, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So what sort of man is this? He's a sort of man that can even conquer death. And that from that we know that he has power to do anything because we are incapable of fighting and winning that war for ourselves and for eternity. So as we consider our thoughts today about Jesus, what he's given to us, let's think about these things and ask ourselves the question, what sort of man is this? And then understand and realize that we serve a risen Savior who chose to initiate our salvation when we didn't even know what to do and that by partaking in this life, in this flesh, he's able to save us and that by doing that, he's also conquered death, our worst enemy of all, and able to deliver us uh, out of this lifelong slavery to sin and death. Let's think about those things today as we consider uh, our salvation and what Jesus has delivered it through this uh, crucifixion on the cross. Amen.